Hello, this is uh, Dr. Morris Duffy, and I'm absolutely thrilled. I am so delighted, right, with my guest uh, today. He's been one of my mentors, one of my heroes, one of my super connectors, the only Professor John McIntyre from Sunderland University. Hey, John, how are you? Hi, Morris. You good? Very good. All right, so how are you coping with the, uh, the world as it is at the present time? Where are you Hello. today? I'm I'm in my my man cave. I'm in my I I, I um, converted the loft in my house up in the Tyne Valley quite a few years ago uh, into a kind of a den, and that makes me very lucky actually because it means I've got a space in which I can work and think and play and listen to vinyl records. I'm rebuilding a vinyl record collection, so I'm enjoying that. Um, so that's where I am. I'm, I'm in my kind of working space, but also. Kind of but you have a you have a huge collection of uh, guitars there as well. I know. I know that uh, your your music is yep. important to you. So are you each day taking out a different guitar and saying it's guitar A or guitar B's day? Yeah. So so that so that the the like children guitars. I um, I suffer from what's called gas guitar acquisition syndrome. So so I've got about seven or eight guitars here. Um, if only I could bloody play them and do them justice, but. <laughs> Uh, but I do enjoy it, and they've all got a different character, and they're all good for different things. So yeah, I'm enjoying doing that. Now, uh, so I, I I know, so I know that you're obviously uh, you know a Pro Vice Chancellor down at uh, Sunderland University, and uh, you know that you you've been there for many years. But you know what makes what makes your story spectacular or interesting to me is your four months in isolation. So how's that been going? Yeah, that's right. So so I had um, as you know I had um, surgery on my spine on the eighth of February. Uh, so I had the foresight to take myself out of circulation before everybody else. Um, what's also interesting, probably just reflect on the fact that um, because of what I do for the university, I travel internationally a great deal. Uh, as you know, we have a campus in Hong Kong. We had a graduation ceremony at that campus or in Hong Kong um, on, on the 8th of December. And I was in Hong Kong for a fortnight in December when almost certainly COVID-19 was already circulating mm. in China and probably in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, but the surgery I had meant that um, it was fairly substantial surgery on the lower part of my back. Had a bone no, it, no, 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 you, no, you understate it because I know that it's a little bit more than that, right? Well, well, it was, yeah. But, but, but anyway, that, that led me to, to having to, um, to recuperate the first three weeks almost entirely kind of 24 hour days on I was a day on my back um, and um, and then very slowly um, beginning to kind of walk and then uh, I just got to the point where the surgeon said I was allowed to drive for 10 minutes no longer than 10 minutes um, and that meant I could get out of the house and actually you know get back in the circulation and just as that came about then lockdown came so that was me back <laughs> back in um, and I suppose what's interesting, certainly um, working with colleagues in the university who the lockdown came like everybody else. This was mm -hmm. a kind of, you know, their, their first experience of this, really. I was kind of two months ahead of everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd already gone through all of the frustrations that I think some people are experiencing now of, um, of that kind of restriction to liberty and the things that you normally do and the social interactions that you have. Um, and you know, just the normal kind of the, the way that you work, having the facilities that you work with, the office space and the kind of, you know, uh, the general kind of infrastructure. And, and so I've already gone through the process of adapting. 
And it's meant that I've, I think to some degree, being able to help others to adapt as well. Mm. And I'm very taken, I don't know if, if many people have come across it, but there's a guy called Chris Hadfield. Chris was an astronaut and mm. was actually Canada's first spacewalker. And I'm very taken by the way he described coming to terms of spending months on the space station. Mm. And he talked about needing to understand the risks because you're in you know, an environment where if you go outside of your, your protected bubble, you're in a very dangerous place. And I think we feel a bit like that with our homes now, don't we? Going outside could be, could be risky. And also, so understanding those risks, but also what you do with your time inside this protected bubble. Mm. And he talks about needing to give yourself a sense of purpose and structuring your day and giving yourself time to do specific things. And I found that, that very, very helpful. Mm. So giving yourself a sense of purpose, and that might be about mm. particular things I'm going to do today. I'm going to knock this off the list. I'm going to get that done. Mm. And also giving particular chunks of the day to things, mm. including chunks of the day to myself. Mm. So actually I'm going to, down tools, I'm going to walk out into my garden, I'm going to feed the fish in the pond, I'm going to do a little less stuff, I'm going to go for my walk. Mm. So, and, and, so actually structuring the day to time has been an interesting thing as well. And, and that's kind of one of, you know, one of, one of the, the, the big issues, you know, uh, every, every morning, as, as you know where I live, you know, I go on the beach and I'm normally down there about half five and I refuse to call them pensioners because I'm getting towards that age myself. Right, but I call them seniors. So the seniors on the beach, all right, they usually come out at about half past five, six o'clock when they feel that there's nobody else there. So I often get the opportunity to talk to them. And it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's concerning, right? Like genuinely concerning from a mental health point of view, you know, that I might be the only conversation that they've had face to face with somebody that day, right? Um, you know, and it's, you know, and on, on, on every three I, I talk to, you know, I say, can I help? Yeah, and usually I, there's at least one who, who's thinking. I, actually, I think I can help you, right? You know, but it's just a mindset thing. But but the, but the point being is, you know, um, for me now in the work that I do, you know, mental health and, and and the challenges around mental health are are becoming you know greater and greater and greater. Absolutely. Right. Um, and and you know you're right about the structure, and you're right about giving yourself the purpose, and you're also right about giving yourself time. We just don't love each other just don't love each other enough. But from a, a university point of view, you know, how is isolation affecting the educational process? You know, what are you seeing that are kind of trends for the future there? There's a, there's a number of things there. One, one is, I think the first most fundamental thing is we're delivering education to thousands of students, tens of thousands of students every year. And the university has pivoted from the, if you like, more conventional paradigm. There's a lot of innovation in teaching normally but that teaching is still innovative in the construct of face-to-face contact and has pivoted that entire provision online in the Mm. course of about three weeks Mm. Um, and that old adage about necessity being the mother of invention is really true and I think this is a great example of that and indeed many other institutions have done the same Um, and interestingly um, as I mentioned earlier we have a campus in Hong Kong and everybody knows that um, Hong Kong was subject to a lot of disruption last year before COVID. And to cope with that disruption, we had already moved the Hong Kong campus to a combination of online and kind of face-to-face and then completely online delivery. And actually, the feedback from students in Hong Kong was they preferred it. Mm. They actually preferred the construct. It meant their time was more flexible and all the rest of it. 
and we're beginning to see some of that now with our uh, students uh, in the Sunderland campus and in our London campus. Um, the, in terms of the construct of working with colleagues, um, the kind of video conferencing, you know, online meeting platforms, there are a variety mm. of them, um, they've worked very, very well. So, uh, but the thing that we've also built into, into that, I introduced what I called uh, the need for water cooler time. Mm. And what I mean by that is when you're at work, you're not only working. And yes, you've got colleagues, who, but only colleagues, they're friends. And the, the normal kind of intercourse that you have during the course of a day involves chatting about the, you know, what you watched on the telly last night, and what, about the football or whatever, your families. And we've built specifically time in to use the online platforms mm -hmm. to have that interaction, mm -hmm. which is not just the mm -hmm. job. It's not just yeah. getting the job done. It's, re it's staying connected with each other yeah. and also supporting each other. But there's one other thing I think, which has which uh, come out of this construct, which we wouldn't have got otherwise, is we're learning more about people in their home setting about who they are as a person. So as you've already mentioned, um, everybody's commented, but hey John, there's quite a few guitars there. Mm. And we do a thing on, at five o'clock every Friday, which is a virtual drink after work, which we call wine online. And that's good, of, that's cold, that's cold. Wine, wine online, you should pay Wine online. We've even got a logo for it, I tell you, which is uh, using a wine glass as a face mask, I'll have to send it to you. Um, <laughs> but, but two weeks ago, somebody said, hey, you know, go on then, John, give us a tune. And yeah, why not I pick up a guitar and play, you know, we're playing and doing a sing-along. Now, the office construct would never get us there. Would it? And so actually there's, there are things you could say that construct we're in is, is bringing to us that we wouldn't have had before. And, and, and there is, you know, there, there, are, there are significant learnings, you know, and, and I'd, I'd endorse a lot of those observations because, you know, in the work that I've done, I've typically always coached face-to-face. And, you know, these days I'm coaching, you know, more. And, and, and I've also coached virtually a lot, but usually it was always telephone-based. Um, whereas now, you know, with Zoom, I've been coaching individuals and you get a, you know, a sneak view into their house. Although most people try and put a library behind them in order to show that they're intelligent, <laughs> bright and clever. Uh, um, you know, and, uh, and it's my 11-year-old says, I can change the backdrop anytime you want, Dad, you know. So uh, I says, but it's real. He says, doesn't make any difference. I can change it. But but you know the the opportunity of engaging with people on a personal level, and 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 you and what you say there is absolutely vital. That connection, you know, that personal connection is also really important. And maintaining the personal connection, you know, I'm 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 following you because it's uh, it's my wife Karen's birthday this uh, this Saturday, so we're having a, a virtual birthday uh, for her online. So I'm curious to see. Uh, I was just sending out messages to people there saying, you know, I want us all to sing a song. Can you learn the words to happy birthday, Karen, please? Right. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But, you know, as the universities and, and I know the kind of uh, I, I know in Sunderland is a, it's a very international, international and outward looking, you know, with a lot of foreign students as the kind of bedrock of, of the university. And I'm sure the bedrock of, you know, the commercial side of the business as well. Um, you know, what do you think the impact is going to have? What has been the impact on the university? And what do you think the impact is going to be? So um, the impact so far um, has been relatively minimal in, in so, with international students insofar as um, uh, the international recruitment cycle 
uh, by the time COVID really kind of broke out, uh, the, the, the students that would be coming to our Sunderland or our London campuses already here. Um, there's been an element of impact clearly around making sure they're safe or some of them returning back to their home country and we're arranging to teach them online until they can come back. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One is it's really interesting to see how things have been developing internationally and the how the world is viewing how the UK is handling COVID-19. And I have to say that that has not been great. Mm. So um, there's a view that, that maybe the way the UK has handled things compared to, for example, places like South Korea or indeed parts of China, mm. where they got on top of it very quickly, you know, implemented a, a really kind of strict lockdown. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of arguments as to why that is the case, but it is the case that there is a perception that the UK hasn't really gone on top of it quickly enough and that that might be perceived as, as creating a risky environment. Yeah. So I, I always say I've never been a big fan of irony, but there's an element of irony around the idea that Chinese students might and their parents might see China as a safer place to be than the UK. So we're dealing with those perceptions and we're very actively promoting the messages around um, making students safe, how we can ensure they can be taught and also, you know, accommodated and fed and all of that. Um, the, the bigger question comes to what happens next year. So the university's academic and financial year starts in October, uh, it starts in August and runs through to July. Um, so our concern and the, all of the actions and, and kind of um, plans we're putting in place really around what happens from September, October onwards, mm. which would be when the next big bunch of students would arrive in the UK. Um, and we're, we're confident, and a point that you've made many times, Morris, and I, and I agree with you completely, we're confident not only can we put a strong plan in place for this cycle, but what we're doing is tooling up to be strong for the next three, four, five mm. years, you know. Um, and that's to do with taking advantage of disruption in the market, mm. making sure that we've got strong supply chains in place. We've got a good infrastructure. We know our brand, we know our product, we know our markets, and we're in good shape to take advantage of what will probably be a very strong rebound in the, in the year after this. So mm. what we'll see is even some students who, you know, were concerned about the UK and decided not to come this year and the year ahead, actually come the year after. And that means we could have a bumper year in 21-22. Good. Right, so just kind of leaving the educational side, and, 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 and I know that uh, you, you try uh, very, very hard to be a good cricketer and that you're you know, a, a, a student of the cricketing game. But in a, in a, from a sporting point of view, uh, you know, what do you think uh, is the future that we see there and, and how do you see some of the stuff unfolding? Well, I won't mention say, the English cricket team, right? I won't mention the English <laughs> I'll just say, by the way, Morris, that, that on the wall there is a scorecard from when I was playing cricket, which my son got, got done for me for Christmas. Um, and it's, it's there because it has me scoring a century on the, on the scorecard. Um, yeah, but, the, but you know, if, you, if you're playing against a seven-year-old, you know, you can, you can get there, you can get there any time, you know? Hey, you can only play the opposition you've got. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think we all recognise it. Sport is is a fundamental part of our lives. Um, very, very important, of course, here in the northeast. With you know football, 
and our cricket team in Durham and, and you know, rugby. And I think what we can all see is that the, the fundamental construct of sport, of bringing a big body of people together who kind of, you know, support their team and love the contest, but they also love the social interaction around it. Got the pub before the game, got the pub after the game. All of that is going to be fundamentally challenged for quite some time to come, I think. Um, the, um, and I think that's true not only here in the UK, UK mm. but it's going to be true internationally. So some of the things that I love, um, I think we're not going to see that back in, in, in normal circumstances, I think for maybe a year, could be as long as that. Yeah, well, you know, I think, yeah, I, I see that, you know, the trials, and, and you'll know more about this than me, you know, for some vaccines are starting today, right? Um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that is the cure, but I'm sure, you know, somebody told me that they're working on 80 different yeah. different types of, of potential yeah. solutions around the world, and it's, it's placed more to your zone than mine from the research. That, that's right. I mean, all of the epidemiological models suggest that um, what you're doing with social distancing and you know, restrictions on uh, travel and kind of public gatherings is you're dealing with trying to restrict the number of people who get infected in a model where people can get infected. In fact, the, the, the long-term solution is to make sure that, that about 80% of the population does get infected, but gets infected in a controlled way. And what that means is vaccinating them. Because of course, when you get vaccinated, you are infected. You're infected with it at a level which allows antibodies to develop and then you develop your own immunity. So vaccination is going to be um, the long-term solution without any question and has been the long-term solution to major um, you know, virulent diseases like measles and smallpox and it is the way to get over it. I think there's also for me the big question around the source of these things and so we've seen a number of, of um, epidemics which have kind of become the potential for pandemics um, and which have emerged from this whole thing around diseases which start in, in various species but then transfer to humans what's called a zoonotic transfer and I think that we're going to have to deal with the fundamental root causes of these things because it's all well and good to vaccinate against COVID but then what about the next you know um, mutated virus and the one after that and there's a kind of fundamental thing, I think, around the way we're treating animals and the way we're treating food source that I think is going to be a challenge for the whole world to deal with. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the, the funny things. Uh, you, know, you, you, you worry about those who lead us and the level of competence that they actually have. Um, but I heard one of the senior spokespeople um, at the White House come out and say, you know, that they just don't understand it, you know, COVID-19, that they had 19 chances to fix this. Why haven't we fixed it? When in actual fact, the 19 refers to 2019 when it Indeed. was first identified. And you, you, you have to kind of throw your hands into despair and say, is this, you know, it was Michelle Obama says, you know, you know what the one thing that uh, she found when she got to the top table with, uh, uh, with Obama himself was they're not that smart. <laughs> you know, the people sitting there don't, don't think that they're that smart. They're not. Uh, yeah, and I, I can't remember which governor it was, one of the governors of one of the states in the US, um, who uh, in one of his briefings said, um, well, I, I've only just realized, I've only just been told um, that, um, that you know, you, you can be a, 
uh, spreading the virus and, and infecting other people, even though you don't, don't have symptoms. And he said that weeks, weeks into the kind of uh, development of the disease. Scary. Absolutely so, so quite how a, level, a leader at that level could demonstrate that level of ignorance. Mm. And that's still going on. Mm. Um, I don't know if you recorded, but there was an interview given by the mayor of Las Vegas yesterday, which is just astonishingly ignorant. And, uh, and she is promoting that the casinos should open up again. Yeah. And she even said something along the lines of, well, I'm prepared for the, for the people of Las Vegas to be like a control group in an experiment. Uh, I mean, you're talking about canaries in a coal mine here. You're mm. talking about taking the citizens and risking their lives on a kind of risk-reward basis. It's just crazy. So, yeah, uh, we, we, are, we, we, we do see, I think, some real failure, failures of leadership mm. right now. John, and we, we could talk all day, all right? Um, and we have many times talked all day, so we won't, uh, we won't carry that conversation on. But, you know, that's been absolutely fantastic. Let me ask a couple of quick questions about yourself. So what music are you into? Um, so I love music across just about every possible range of music you can think of. I love classical music. I love choral music. I love hard rock music. Um, I say hard rock. I love blues. Um, so that probably the only stuff that I don't listen to would be kind of heavy metal. Mm. I'm not. I'm not really a heavy metal man. Um, I love melodial music, and I, and I love um, music that tells a story. Mm. And so on the vinyls that you're collecting there, what's the collection? What are the, the kind of ones you look out for most of all? Um, so again, kind of right across the range. So um, some of the stuff, I've, 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 it's been a bit of a nostalgic journey. So I'm, I'm rebuying on vinyl some of the stuff that I had on vinyl when I was in the 1970s. So <laughs> go, on, go on doing that. Um, so uh, uh, just yesterday, the Beatles, Roy Orbison, the Travelling Wilburys, ELO, they all Roy Orbison, yeah. There you go. You're going back into our memories. That's scary. And what's the last book you read? Um, so there's a book called Carrying the Fire by Mike, Michael Collins. Michael Collins was the astronaut on Apollo 11 that a lot of people forget. So he was the one that didn't walk on the moon. He was the mm. one that was in the command module orbiting the moon while Aldrin and Armstrong went down to the moon. And of course, all these guys were phenomenally talented, extraordinary people, you know, to, to, to get to the point of being selected for the, for the space program in the 1960s meant that you were the elite of the elite of the elite. Mm. Um, these guys were, you know, test pilots, which, which meant that you were the, the elite of a fighter pilot group, which were already an elite. Mm. And Collins is an extraordinary guy, amazing guy. Um, really enjoyed reading, reading his book. It's very insightful, insightful, quite a um, self-aware character. Um, he was a bit of a jokey, uh, flamboyant character. Many of them were very kind of engineers focused on the job. He was a very talented, focused engineer, but he was a more outgoing character. Mm. So yeah, I've enjoyed, enjoyed reading that, Carrying the Fire. And um, what do you do for, you know, we talked about cricket, but what do you do outside of work and uh, playing the guitars to uh, keep yourself amused? Well, I, I, I love snow sports, so skiing and snowboarding. Um, I, recently yeah, but you're, been, a, you're an extreme skier. You are an extreme skier. Uh, not so much now. Um, and I love on my snowboard. When I went from skis onto a snowboard, that was to try and pretend I was young and look cool. Um, and I scuba dive. I love scuba diving. That's been a great, a great kind of thing in my life. Loved in, I love doing that. Um, 
and um, I've kind of stopped playing team sports. And finally, when when, when this all is over, I'll, I'll really enjoy getting back to the gym. Yeah. All right. John, it's been fascinating. Thank you for taking us on that journey. Professor John McIntyre from me, thank you for giving your time. Uh, absolute pleasure, Morris. If you're interested in change, mindset and personal development, whether in your personal life or career, you can head over to morristuffy.com forward slash resources, where you'll be able to access loads of inspirational material, articles, podcasts and motivational thoughts, as well as meditation and visualization exercises. You can also get in touch with Dr. Maurice Duffy and his team by email on let's talk at morristuffy.com. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Simply search for at the Beak Squawks. <laughs>